episode 388 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I want to welcome you to the show by playing a little music. We are currently listening to the song Bone Vampire. It is from the band Toro Jones. We're based out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And check this out. This song actually just came in at the number three slot in September's Surf Rock Radio charts over at surfrockradio.com, which is so cool. I dig the song. I dig what Toro Jones is all about. Check him out over at Bandcamp. It's under the musician's name, Steve Ladasina.bandcamp.com. I apologize, Steve, if I mispronounce your name, but I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes so people can find it. And because it's on Bandcamp, if you head over there and pick up this album or any album on Bandcamp on Friday, all of their profits are going to go to a voting rights charity, which I think is really cool. So check it out when you're done listening to this podcast, where we're going to talk about an obscure vampire movie called The Hand of Night. You might also know it as Beast of Morocco. I know it as a movie that I had never seen before, but was introduced to it by Alan Trump, frequent guest of the show, friend of mine. I'm excited to share with you the conversation that Alan and I had about this film. Now, you might have heard a tiny clip of the conversation that we had because on YouTube, I released a coming soon video about episode 388. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm going to keep trying to do that. So there's another reason for you to subscribe to the Monster Kid Radio YouTube channel and like all the videos you see over there. Anyway, the conversation that I had with Alan took place several weeks ago, and there is something that we referenced in the conversation that by the time you hear this, the event that we're talking about or something that we're talking about has already come to pass. So bear with us a little bit. We know that they went ahead and opened the thing up. But anyway, that's a tease. Also in this episode of Monster Kid Radio, we've got the famous Monsters of Filmland segment coming in from Ken Blows, where he's going to talk a little bit about Hand of Night, famous Monsters of Filmland. And just he's got a really cool thing that he's going to do with this week's episode. I, I really like it. We also have an interview that was sent in by Steve Turek. He attended the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention and ran into Monster Bash's own Ron Adams. So we did an interview with him. Also, we have the Weird Wednesday report coming in from Jeff Pullier, where he went to the Weird Wednesday screening at the Joy Cinema last week and got a screening of the movie Lady Frankenstein. He's going to call in and tell us what he thought of the movie. I want to give everybody a heads up. Normally, I play the spoiler warning before we get into the main conversation, but also Jeff kind of spoils a little bit of Lady Frankenstein. I personally think it's okay, but I just want to make sure everybody knows what to expect. We also have this month's executive producer roll call. That's all happening in this episode, and we're going to cap things off with a little bit of listener feedback with my wife, Brenda. So that's all going to happen right after this. Action you've never seen races across your screen as you thrill to a new dimension in picture making Carnival of Souls. This is the shocking story of a who crawled from the river to race through a nightmare, walking a tightrope between heaven and hell. From the unreal, she crashes through to reality. But try as she will to lead a normal life, she is torn from a goal. There's no privacy in her life. She's ever watched, tormented. Either it's her neighbor, desirous of her physically, watching her with his leering eye, 
For it's the evil eye of the man, the man who taunts her, the man who wants her. From the bottom of the river they come. They reach for her. They demand that she dance with them at the Carnival of Souls. She is a girl driven mad by the relentless forces of the beyond. He will not relent as he comes for her again and again. She whirls between the real and the unreal, trying to cling to life. I like being with you, really I do. I don't want to be alone tonight. I want to be near you. Honey. You don't want to go in there all by yourself, do you? But she must watch herself in death. She must dance at the Carnival of Souls held just for her. For they have come for her for the last time, claiming her as one of their own. Carnival of Souls arouses such emotion that the management has been forced to state positively no refunds. Carnival of Souls is the shocker of all time, guaranteed to sweep you into a new dimension of picture making. You can't afford to miss Carnival of Souls. Come back. Back through the fire and water network. Come back with the supermates. I said, come back. Back to the house of Franklin Stein. The supermates present four blood-curdling films with an all-star cast. Lon Chaney Jr. I know you'll think I'm crazy, but... In a half an hour, the moon will rise and I'll turn into a wolf. Gary Busey. I'm a little too old to be playing the Hardy Boys meet Reverend Werewolf. Christina Ricci. I'd love to have a tame one, but I wouldn't have the heart to cage him. Corey Haynes. I want you to turn this into a silver bullet. Bela Lugosi. You should be careful. A person can get killed that way. Johnny Depp. No, you must believe me. It was a horseman, a dead one. Headless. Peter Cushing. Have you heard of the cult of the undead? Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Do you know what could happen if I meet Dracula in the woods? I'll bite. Oh no, you gotta stand in line. Plus four monstrous battles with your favorite comic book heroes. I sense you're trying to resist this evil, Batman. Open your mind so I can help you. Destroy me, Jean. Booster Gold, Vampire Slayer. This September and October, come back to the Fire and Water Network and the home of horror and heroes. I believe you're in the house of Dracula right now. No, wrong address. Come back to the house of Franklin Stein. Back. Back. Yes, master. Give me some Dracula. Journey into double terror with the late night double feature with X, the fiend from beyond space, and the wall people. A crew of interstellar explorers must fight an unstoppable alien fiend from beyond space, hell bent on consuming them all. Will they survive? Can they survive? And on the same program, a man must fight to save his only child from the clutches of strange invaders who use their advanced technologies to steal sleeping children through their bedroom walls. 
Christmas. Are your children safe? Two terrors to tear you apart in the late night double feature. It's time for our monthly executive producer roll call. These are all the people who have supported Monster Kid Radio on Patreon at the Toho level or higher. So special thanks to executive producers Ken B, Tammy A, Richard C, Jeremy L, Charles B, Jeff O, Paul C, Tracy and Scott Morris, Jonathan A, Jason S, Justin G, Thomas B, Terry M, James S, and Mitch G. I know I used a lot of initials there, but I didn't know how comfortable people would be with me using their last name. As far as Scott and Tracy go, well, you guys know who they are. Anyway, thank you to everybody who supported Monster Kid Radio this month at the Toho level or higher. Of course, you can learn more about our Patreon campaign by going to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio or follow the link on our website at monsterkidradio.net. The occult world of necromancy. You were brought here for one purpose. Necromancy. A ceremony dating back to the pre-Christian era. It's the art of reviving the dead. It requires involvement with evil spirits by the person performing the act. The devil god brings life to the dead. No, 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 please. No, please. And death. To the living. Necromancy. Starring Orson Welles and Pamela Franklin. From Cinerama releasing. In color, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What evil science was practiced in this laboratory of nightmares? Who is this irresistible creature who has an insatiable love for the dead? What dread terror stalked the townspeople? The legend of Frankenstein once again brings terror and nightmare to the screen. The scientist who dared to create a monster. Meet Lady Frankenstein. She's beautiful. She's evil. And she'll do anything for love. Think of me. Think of possessing me. Would you like to have my body bend to you? Would you like to make love to me? She creates a new, more terrifying monster. I am my father's daughter. <laughs> you are referring to uh, animal transplants. 
human. Only the monster she creates can satisfy her strange desires. Hi, Derek and the Monster Kids. This is Jeff Pullier calling in with a Weird Wednesday report. And this Weird Wednesday was September 19th at the Joy Cinema in Tigard, Oregon. And the film, La Figlia di Frankenstein, which would translate in English to The Daughter of Frankenstein, but was released as Lady Frankenstein. So in this story, Dr. Frankenstein and his assistant, uh, not an Igor, but uh, Dr. Charles Marshall, do create a monster. Uh, but the monster escapes and kills Baron Frankenstein. Frankenstein's daughter has also earned a doctorate. She's been away at school, but she's home now. Uh, she is played by the incredibly beautiful Rosalba Neri, with the screen name of Sarah Bay. And she decides the only way to stop the monster that escaped is to make another monster that can be controlled, one that doesn't have a damaged brain in his body. So her idea is to take the hapless uh, groundskeeper Tom and put Charles Marshall's brain in Tom's body. So this is again a, a mad scientist abusing the dim-witted help. And in fact, since Tom isn't actually dead, uh, she seduces Tom and while she's on top making love to him, Charles comes up from behind and smothers Tom with a pillow. That's how they get Tom's body to put Charles's brain in. Charles has apparently loved Tanya, Lady Frankenstein, for a long time, and now he has the intelligence she admires, but also a body she admires. So it's creature versus creature action, and uh, I'm glad to say that Lady Frankenstein gets her comeuppance at the end. Uh, while she claims to love Charles Marshall, uh, it really seems to me that she was just using him. So, it's not a great film. It's a good film. It's, it's a good way to spend some time uh, enjoying this. If you like beautiful naked women, uh, Rosalba Nauti is not the only naked woman in it, but, oh my gosh, she is just, I mean, even pull it close, she's beautiful, but what a body. I gotta say, what a body. Anyway, that's it for this week, and I'll be calling in again real soon. Have a great day, everyone. came from another planet to destroy the Earth. Giant spiders, 30 feet tall, clawing, crushing, killing everything in their paths. Never before was anything like them seen on Earth. The government and the military were in shock. Could anyone stop them? Could anyone stop the giant spider invasion? I'm William Castle, and I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is the Tingler, 
which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that The Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction how you can guard yourself from attack by the Tingler. And now may I show you a few scenes from the Tingler? you do. We're about to unfold the story of Frankenstein. This is Tom Lang. And this is Bill Evenson. And we're the hosts of a new podcast called Frankenstein Minute. That's right. We've taken the classic Universal Studios Frankenstein films and broken them down minute by minute. And each episode, we're going to dissect one minute of Frankenstein. We'll talk about Colin Clive, who played Henry Frankenstein. Dwight Fry, his hunchback assistant. May Clark, Henry's fiance. And of course, don't forget that monster, played by the enigmatic question mark. We'll also talk about the director, James Whale, and the fascinating flourishes he brought to the picture. And Mrs. Percy B. Shelley, Mary, of course, the author of the original novel on which the film was based. And the difference between the novel and the film. This really is a classic film, the one that many point to as the one that started it all. Um, Dracula? Uh, sure. But, you know, seriously, one minute a week? How long is Frankenstein? Frankenstein is 71 minutes. Are you sure we can uh, keep this going for 71 weeks? Oh, sure, no problem. I mean, this is Frankenstein we're talking about, not Dracula. Good point. We'll discuss characters' motivations and talk about the great performances and John Bowles. <laughs> Don't forget, Kenneth Strickfadden and his amazing electrical devices. We'll even reveal which of the lead actors grew up in sleepy little Chaska, Minnesota. Frankenstein Minute premieres on August 31st, 2018. Where? You know, the usual places, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube. And check us out on FrankensteinMinute.com and Facebook and Twitter, if that's still a thing. Is Twitter still alive? Oh, it's alive. It's alive? It's alive. Everybody. This is Steve Turk, Monster Kid roving reporter. I'm at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention in Hunt Valley, Maryland. And of course, I ran into a fellow Monster Kid, Ron Adams. Ron, how are you doing so far at this convention? Great, Steve. Uh, great being here in Hunt Valley at the Mid-Atlantic. And it's, it's a great show. Great show. I did your Monster Movie Fest, which was excellent. You had seven of our eight top 100 movies from our 100 top monster movie list. And the one thing I was remiss because you were so busy in June's convention is we never got a chance to get your thoughts about that list. Oh, okay. It, I just was refreshing myself, uh, taking a peek at it. And it's, you know, it, it is all the ones I can think of that I really love. They're in there somewhere. I mean, it's, it's a great list. It's just amazing how the voters decided on those different movies. 
one of the things I had a lot of feedback when people were coming through our past our booth to get into your convention, because you put us in that one location, everybody had to walk by us. It didn't right, matter who you right. were. Was people's different definitions of what a monster movie is. And it is all across the board. I mean, Derek and I left it open for any type of monster movie. But I wanted to get you, a, my fellow Monster Kids version, what you think a monster movie is. Boy, you know, it is it is a huge gray area. It's really interesting that, uh, okay, what what is a monster? Is it is it something that's supernatural? Is it something that could be human? I mean, is uh, in, the, in the human monster, even the name of that movie with Lugosi, uh, Lugosi is a monster, but he's a human. He's just a, a crazy man. Now, is that really a, a definition of a monster? Uh, what about giant creatures that were just affected by, you know, they're monsters, aren't they? Uh, but then what about something that's naturally big? Or There's just so much gray area. It's it's fascinating to see where you can take it. I mean, you can take it one step, one step. Is it is, is a murderer, uh, a psychopath, a monster? Is uh, just a plain murderer a monster? Is it someone that contemplates murder but doesn't actually commit a murder? Is he a monster for thinking about that he wants to murder someone? And, you know, how far does it extend? It's You know, what is a monster? It is a great question. Personally, you know, I go with the more unnatural creature, uh, whether it's something that was built like Frankenstein out of uh, various body parts or whether it's, uh, you know, a, a throw a throwback from a prehistoric time. Uh, I would go with something that's more uh, unusual and, and not natural. But, you know, there is there's a lot of gray area there. There really is. The interesting part when we had people discussing the list was movies like Psycho with Anthony Perkins. And, of course, I look at that as a horror film and not a monster film mm-hmm. for the same reason you brought up. It's it's a normal person who goes off the deep end and does stuff that no person would never think of doing. And I know people say, well, those are monsters' actions. And as you said, then, it, then you hit that slippery slope of yeah. what are you going to start including there? And it could get to be wide scope of movies or even something like i mean if you want to start picking minutia out what about like the thing from another world okay it it's it's a creature we're not used to but it's kind of a natural creature he's an alien and that's just the way he is but he's i would consider it a monster because it's i guess something from our earth perspective is not natural to the earth uh, I mean, there's just all kinds of different angles you can look at that, uh, you know, and, and gr- the gray area is massive all around the, the center focal point. I agree with you. And one of the other things I was noticing in my mind, monsters don't always have to be evil. For instance, like Mighty Joe Young, and my thing falls into monster movie thing, he's a good guy. You look at a lot of the Ray Harryhausen films, there were monsters or creatures that were evil, but there's also ones that were good, like... Um, Torg and things like that, or Tog, or Torg, yeah, Torg. And um, so those kind of things, so they don't always have to be on the bad side. Right, right. It's it's, it's just funny when you stop and really think about it, how different uh, definitions of monster can be. You know, there really is a huge area, and I think it's it's really subjective, and everyone has their personal uh, perspective on what a monster is. Yeah, and I don't think either one of us are telling other people, oh, this is the way it should be. Go with your own definition of what yeah. you think a monster you know, usually movies there's, uh, there's a reason there's reasoning, and it's like, yeah, I can see that. You know, I personally think it's more here, but 
I see where you're going. You know, it just goes spreads out in every direction in, you know, and uh, in, for a gray area of what a monster is. Um, to me, I can almost summarize it my personal view when I'm looking at other people and they're asking different definitions. It's like art. You know it when you see it. Yeah. If you're watching it, you say, that's a monster. To me, good. That's for you. That's a monster. Might not be me, but if it works for you, that works great. And speaking of monsters, I know you have something coming up soon. I didn't know if you wanted to promote in October. Oh, I never want to promote anything. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, we have uh, coming up very soon the uh, Monster Bash Oktoberfest Bash, and it's at uh, the Mars Hotel in Mars, Pennsylvania, just north of Pittsburgh, and it's uh, uh, King Kong-themed 85th anniversary, 85 years of King Kong. And we just, uh, besides recently adding Patrick Wayne, John Wayne's son, to the list, um, we just uh, got Faye Ray's daughter has agreed to do an introduction to King Kong. Uh, so we're going to have um, Faye Ray's daughter. Her name is Vicky. She's not going to be there in person. She has other commitments, but she's recording an introduction for Monster Bash that we'll have up on the big screen. And she is interested in future Monster Bashes. So probably won't be too long before we have uh, Vicky, Faye Ray's daughter, at Monster Bash. I would look forward to seeing her. I, I, I've told you this before. You're killing me because I can't go to October's Monster Bash. My wife would kill me if I go to too many bashes. There's only so many I can do. Well, you know, <laughs> having her chase you around with a knife, it might be worth it, you know. <laughs> but then would that make her a monster? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's true. There we go back to that again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the October Monster Bash is the 19th, 20th, and 21st of October. And, of course, you can always stay up to date on what the next bash is by just going to monsterbash.us. All right, Ron, thank you. I know you're having a great convention here. And Love it here. Stuff. Love it here. Rico Browning's here, a creature from the Black Lagoon, and it's always great to see Rico and his daughter, Renee. Ron has um, been down at uh, Middle Age Nostalgia Convention for many years, and this is actually how I found out about the Monster Bash, was going by his Creepy Classics booth. And if anybody is ever here, it's always the same time in September, yeah. Every year, you can come by, wish Ron happy birthday. Happy birthday oh, today, thanks. Ron. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's Monday, yeah. And, um, and that kind of stuff. And to just enjoy the convention. It's, it's different than the Monster Bash, but it's more movies, television, all the stuff we yeah, grew general, up watching. general nostalgia, but we're all there. We all grew up in that time period, yeah. And sometimes we're lucky. They've, been, they've had the Hammer Girls here before. They've had Rico Brennan. Obviously, he's here right now. Um, lots of lovely people they've had. If you for those sci-fi fans, last year they had 2001: A Space Odyssey. Right, right. The stars from that. It's a great thing to come. Come down, visit Ron. And some of the great historians are here. I just saw Linda Delastrito walking by. Frank's here. He, he's written many books on in the, our genre. And uh, Greg Manx here as well. Yeah, because Greg Manx lives in the area, and Frank, of course, is a fixture. It seems like at the Monster Bash. Bash. Oh, he's great. Yeah. And, and, and for the magazine, too, he always is writing for Monster Bash magazine. He's what a great historian, and uh, he does those talks at Monster Bash Interactive that are just wonderful. And his talks are just excellent. And again, thanks, Ron, for doing well, the interview with thank me. Thank you, Steve. Always appreciate it. All right. All right, Derek, send it back to you. Bye. The Projected Map. A brilliant scientist submits himself to a machine to prove his theory with disastrous results. Here, 
suspense. Oh, girl, wake up. Don't muck about. Look. Shock. Ah! Ah! Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! There he is. Drive straight at him. Explosive scene as nature's forces demonstrate their superior power against man's efforts to interfere with the normal order of mind and matter. A shattering suspense film to rivet your attention from its dramatic opening to its devastating climax. Be sure you see this terrific film, The Projected Man. Mary, no! God, let go! Like, simply don't understand it. Of course, the sound is coming from the basement. It's all right, I've got you, Mr. Adam. No, no. Show me what? Gotta get away from those eyes! Get away! Get away! George, get away. no! Are you attracted to the dark? Fascinated by the dramatic? With a side of gruesome and a dash of poetic justice? If you're happy place, is a gloomy room at midnight, then you should be listening to the podcast 12 Chimes It's Midnight. Please join us, won't you, for plays of mystery, horror, and suspense. Find us and subscribe wherever you procure your podcasts. And remember, at midnight, anything can happen. wooden doll, strangely, terrifyingly human, plaything of the devil, capable of such evil that only a cage can restrain its diabolical desires. It walks. It talks. In Berlin, 1948, find me. It sees. It kills on blood-chilling command by thought control. Hugo, she said you were ugly. But somehow he's put a man's life into that doll. Somehow, the malevolent mystery of the devil doll must be solved before more lives are lost to the monstrous power that manipulates it. Look into it. So deep and rich and red and warm. He's calling me, Mom. Please make it stop. But there are no obvious answers, no mechanical tricks, nothing but sheer horror that grows and grows and explodes into violent, murderous action. You'll learn the dummy's sinister secret only at the very end of this most unusual suspense thriller. But for maximum shock sock, see it from the beginning. Devil Dog.
Hello, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Hand of Night in Famous Monsters of Filmland. Now, in the index that I'm using, the Hand of Night was not mentioned. So what I did is I looked in the coming attractions articles for that time period, around 1967-1968 of this film. And what I did is went through and tried to find the title, and I did find it. It was in one issue, in one article, the title is mentioned. And that was in Famous Monsters number 50 from July 1968. And that's a famous issue with Gorgo on the cover. It's interesting, this coming attractions articles in Famous Monsters were a common feature from the very beginning, from Famous Monsters number one. And what they would be was a list of films that were coming up. Some of them would have a brief description. Some would have a brief synopsis. And a lot of times the films were just mentioned by title, a list of titles. And these were like potential films that were going to come out. And how Forrest J. Ackerman knew about them, whether his friends were telling him, he was reading Variety, wherever he was getting these titles, he would just list titles. And sometimes they would come out, and sometimes they would disappear. Or the title would change, you wouldn't know if the movie that was mentioned in one issue came out with another title, another issue. So I thought it would be interesting today to look at the titles of the films that were coming out at the same time as Hand of Night, just to give you an idea and see if you can recognize films that actually came out, films that were never made, and some classic films that will be remembered forever. So let's take a look at the list of films in Famous Monsters number 50, films that were going to come out in the coming attractions article. So let's start with Diabolic. Night of the Big Heat with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Targets with Boris Karloff. The Crimson Altar. Formerly Reincarnation. Originally Witch House with Karloff and Lee. Death Comes from the Dark. Italian. Karloff. Nightmare in Wax. The Curse of Belfagor. Face of Evil. Christopher Lee. Mission Mars. Invasion Earth. Battle Beyond the Stars. Night of the Alk. The Day the Fish Came Out. Armageddon 1975. SOS from Outer Space, Project X, 2,000 Years Later, The Nightcaller, Torture Garden, and another quartet of weirdies from the author of Psycho, Mr. Mysterious, Doc Savage, Tom Swift, The Alien, Vampirism, Hand of Night, The Oblong Box, The Cold Cold Box, The Conqueror Worm with Vincent Price, Extraordinary Stories, Three by Poe, Criminal with a K, Cyborg 009 THX 1138 4EB Equinox The Haunted Opera Curse of the Raven The Castle We Have Always Lived in the Castle The Gold Bug The Snake Pit Pose Pit in a Pendulum with Chris Lee Lee in Fu Manchu's number 3 and 4 Odd John More Than Human The Disappearance Rosemary's Baby She's a Little Devil Charlie Flowers for Algernon, The Devil in Love, Hello Down There, Colossus, and Unfailingly. And that was the end of the article of coming attractions in Famous Monsters 50. And you heard Hand of Night in there tonight, today's movie, among others. Some I don't think were ever made. I don't think there ever was a Tom Swift movie. And there's some other others I do not recognize at all. And some very classic famous ones like Rosemary's Baby and THX 1138. So that was Hand of Night in Famous Monsters. We'll see you next week.
This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. You know, Monster Kid Radio listeners, one of the things that I like about the show, one of the things that I love about the show is when my friends come to me with a movie that I've never even heard of and introduces me to something that I really end up liking in the end. And that's what's happened this time around with Alan Trump. He introduced me to a really cool, moody, atmospheric, kind of sort of vampire movie. Alan, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right, Derek. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's been a little while since we've had you on the show, and I know we've kind of chased a few titles around. I'm still going to have you on to talk about the Astro Zombies at some point, I promise. <laughs> but but this week, we're talking about The Hand of Night, which is also known as Beast of Morocco in some places. It's from 1968, isn't it? Yes, yes. And I prepared for, I did my research for this. I went with my niece and her husband to go see Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson in concert. So I got the horror vibe set up. When I got back (laughs) from the thing, I thought there's nothing better than trying to recapture the atmosphere of when I first saw this movie when I was about, oh, I guess about... Uh, 15 years old here in St. Louis on our local chiller theater. And so uh, it was about 1230 at night when I got home. But I just said, you know, this is a good time to watch the movie. You didn't have to get up too early. So sat down and uh, got through the entire film on the little DVR disc of it that I bought at Monster Bash a while back. And I could really feel like it was the old days of uh, going through the films and and enjoying them late at night, feel that little bit of extra magic that they have there, and also kind of feel sleep kind of clawing at the back of my brain, trying, you know, you know, maybe you should be doing something besides watching monster movies, but there's no better purpose on this earth than watching monster movies, so I stuck it out. It sounds awesome. I actually watched this movie twice since we've talked about it, since we first started talking about doing this. And I just watched it again last night, late at night, when I probably should have been going to sleep, just like, you know. So I was right there with you. What a, a dreamy kind of movie, I, almost surreal in spots and, and poetic in spots. Unfortunately, the transfer that's out there probably doesn't do the movie a lot of good, a lot of service. I mean, I don't think it's ever officially been released on, on home media, has it? I, I think at one point, I remember when I was first starting to collect movies, there was a company called Video Yesteryear who put out a video copy of it. And there might be UK VHS releases, but as as I mentioned to it before we started the uh, interview proper, the disc I have I got at Monster Bash and has little bumper titles here and there in it for Fright Night Theater, 
from Secaucus, New Jersey in it. So this is just something somebody had taped and then transferred to DVR disc. That's a shame because I think it would really benefit from a nice transfer. And it is so odd. It is so weird that I think it would develop a cult audience because of what it is. It's got some good actors in it. It's got some beautiful music, which you can find online. Somebody has, and again, I don't know what the legality of this is, but somebody has taken some of the music from the film and put it on YouTube. So you can check some of that out. The performances, like I said, are really solid. I know some people online when reviewing this movie weren't too complimentary of William Sylvester, but I thought he did just fine. I I dig this movie. Well, good. I'm glad you like it. Like you were saying, it's not the most action-packed movie. It's not a hammer film where we have a vampire attack every, you know, 20 minutes or so or some bodacious young lady showing up in a nightgown. But it, like you said, I, I think you mentioned... Uh, dreamlike is is the key thing about it. There's so much in this movie that is like, well, is this illusion or is this reality? Is this uh, madness or is this an actual supernatural occurrence? Yeah, it has a very interesting flavor like that. That I don't know if the only you know what the only one movie that I can think of that kind of captures a little bit of the feeling of it, but is a little more obviously more frightening is uh, the movie from the 70s, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, where mm. you're never sure, is, is this really happening? Or, you know, are we undergoing a vampire invasion in this little New England town? Or is it all just uh, in Zora Lambert's imagination? Yeah, and even in this film, at one point, William Sylvester's character, it's like, I don't know if you're real or you're just in my head, he says to the vampire, you know, towards the end of the movie, it really could have all been in his head. Now, I think there are some clues towards the end that, yeah, this was really happening. But up until that point, is he just losing his mind? Is he cracking up here in front of us? It really is a fascinating take at this vampire mythology. And that's one of the things that I love about, especially some of the more independent cinema in the late 60s, early 70s, trying to do something completely different with the vampire mythos. Whether it's the Velvet Vampires, whether it's this, you know, I I just love taking a different look at it. I don't know if we see that now. Now when we see a a modern vampire movie, it's pretty cut and dry. These are vampires. Sure, they might sparkle, but, you know, these are vampires. (laughs) They don't don't do anything really dreamy with it. And, And that's what I really respect about this movie. You mentioned Hammer. It does have one strong Hammer connection, at least one, and that's Diane Clare. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actress, the lead actress in this, who was in one of my favorite Hammer films, Plague of the Zombies. Yep. But but she also did some other genre film, The Vulture, uh, Witchcraft with Lon Chaney. I believe this might have been her last film, though. I think that is actually what I read. And uh, you also have Terrence DeMarnay in here, who was in mm-hmm. Die Monster Die. Oh, which is just a wonderful film, one of my favorites. Yeah, and so he plays the Vampire's Court sort of minion Arab servant Omar kind of her Renfield. Which I thought was a really interesting take again on that kind of ghoul kind of assistant, like you said, Renfield of the vampire. And the demise of him, I know it's at the very end of the movie, but his demise is really cool. I really mm-hmm. like that sequence in the way they do the makeup and the transitions and the editing and the pacing, and the music's kicking in and William Sylvester's chasing him. It's really neat. I like it a lot. And I thought he was a solid uh, performer in the film, too. I didn't really see any weak points here. Mm-mm. Did you want to give like a little brief rundown on, on what the plot of the film is? And also, do we want to mention what the end of the film is? 
you know, because a lot of people probably have not seen this thing. <laughs> I suspect a lot of people have not. So maybe uh-huh. a kind of a brief kind of story here or, or, or plot breakdown here just to kind of let people know kind of what we're talking about when we say it's a kind of sort of vampire movie. And, and when I say that, there are no fangs. You know, nobody's getting bit on the neck or anything like that. But there are bats. And we see the bats at first in this really cool opening sequence in the film. I love this opening sequence with this dream sequence that he's going through. Mm-hmm. It is so well done. It is so creepy and weird and unsettling and edited so well. I love this opening dream sequence. It's it's a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, he's in a graveyard and there's like a... a a wedding and a funeral and he's watching himself there and he's on a, it's pretty neat i was pretty startled with that like i said when i first saw it even as a kid and so he's in this crypt and there are three coffins in there and you know all of a sudden he is uh walking amongst the coffins with his lovely bride in in a uh, white wedding dress and then suddenly she starts screaming and then you see suddenly she's in the center coffin and he's holding her hand of her corpse and it's like wow what the heck is going on when i first saw this film (laughs) right there's also some imagery with cars in the dream Mm -hmm. sequence at one point he kind of flashes you think he might be waking up in a car from this dream uh, but no, it's just part of the dream, and there's a car accident as well, and that's going to play in later when we learn a little bit more about his character. Paul Carver mm-hmm. is his name, and it turns out he uh, was in a car accident and lost his family. And he was the one driving the car, so he kind of blames himself for the whole thing, and that's going to be a thing through this film. Does he really believe, as he says, that he's an, a harbinger of death everywhere he goes? People die. You know, he kills people, or is he going to try to put that behind him and embrace this side of light and life and love again. And I find that that performance, that, that characterization kind of walking back and forth between the lines there, fascinating. And that's kind of what this film's about, is him trying to decide where he's going to go. Of course, having a vampire in the mix doesn't make the decision very easy. But <laughs> right, right, definitely. He's basically uh, on a plane to Morocco to try and, I guess, get away from it all after this horrendous incident. And he sort of stumbles into into meeting uh, this archaeologist named uh, Otto Gunther, and, and uh, played by Edward Underdown. And he has a charming assistant uh, who is Diane Clare, named Chantal. So they kind of invite him into their place, and you know he's uh, busy uh, nursing his sorrow. You know, as soon as he gets to Morocco, the person he was intended to meet has passed away the night before. So, like you said, he he feels that he is there some sort of curse on me, and he's, you know, he's drinking. And at one point, which I thought was was kind of a, a nice touch in the dialogue, he's talking to the hotel clerk at his hotel, and. Uh, uh, he asked, where can I find this address of, of this archaeologist? And he says, this is in the old quarter of the city. Um, I don't think it would be very smart to go there after dark. And he says, well, don't worry about me. He says, nothing's going to happen to me because apparently nothing can. Right. So he goes to uh, the archaeologist party in which he meets a variety of people. He encounters this strange ring that uh, emits you know, flashes of light. 
and just sort of puts it on for size and forgets about it. Now, I, you know, I, I don't know about too many parties, but I don't think I would, you know, it, it's just displayed out there in the open. I, I, you know, I'm not a really good party guest, but I don't think I would go ahead and slip on a possibly priceless gem onto my finger and forget about it. <laughs> but that's just me. Yeah, I I would feel a little awkward about. I mean, and it, and it's not subtle. It's not just a, a little band. I mean, there's this big, bright, flashy gem on it. It's not subtle. I mean, it's it. Yeah, I don't know if I would do that either. But but you know, it becomes important to the movie, so we we got to have it. Yep. Yep. And uh, and while he's there, he encounters this beautiful raven-haired woman in sort of a white caftan dress. Aliza Gurr, who plays Marissa. Mm-hmm. Have you researched her at all? Do you know about her background? She was Miss Israel in 1960. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I believe she was in a James Bond film. Is that right? Yeah, she was in Thunderbolt. She was, it, was it, I think it is Thunderbolt. And uh, okay. she is a, was a gypsy who got into a fight with Martine Beswick. Oh, it's uh, from Russia with Love. That's right. It's from Russia yeah. with Love. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they apparently have a knockdown dragout. And honestly, one time I was curious about this actress, and I was at a uh, a Monster Bash conference, and I saw Martine Beswick, and I said, "Do you know whatever happened to the, this woman that you were, you know, in this scene?" Where she says, "Sorry, never saw her again." So. You know, I, you know, maybe, you know, because, uh, uh, Gurr was, uh, Israeli possibly where, you know, Carolyn Monroe and Martine Beswick and, uh, uh, a lot of the other hammer actresses seem to kind of hang out together. Mm-hmm. I was hoping maybe something like that, you know, and she would have stayed in touch with her, but I guess not. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know either. I, I tried to look up some information about her just because I was fascinated. I thought she was gorgeous. I thought she was a great villain, I guess, for lack of a better term in this film. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know more about her and see if there's anything else out there with her in it or on her. And I just, outside of finding out she was Miss Israel and she was in that film with uh, Martine Beswick in that Bond film, I don't know. I couldn't find anything else about her. Okay. okay. So listeners, if anybody knows anything about this woman and anything else she might have done, that you think Monster Kid Radio might be interested in, let me know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, of course, she shows up and he's immediately entranced by her. And, I, you know, watching it last night, there's a great big mirror near her. Oh, that is such a cool sequence. Do you, did you notice, did she have a reflection in the mirror? No, that was so cool. And that okay. was one of those things that I thought, they don't hit you over the head with it. You know, it happens, and, and yeah, William Sylvester might be a, might have noticed it, but he doesn't seem too bothered by it because, I mean, she's gorgeous. She's right there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I thought it was a nice, subtle way of kind of showing that, well, is she really there? Is, is she real? Mm-hmm. Is she a vampire? You know, I thought that was nice. Yep, yep. While he's there, you know, he encounters, you know, uh, again, the archaeologist, Otto Gunther and, you know, Chantal. And he, and he talks a little bit to them both. But after a while, he keeps seeing little fleeting glimpses of this woman, Marissa. And and she shows up in uh, there. Uh, a lot of the party guests go over to look at uh the archaeologist exhibit stuff, and when that happens, he's out in the courtyard, and he has this very strange, again, dreamlike haunting sequence in which a quick storm comes up, and he sees the old uh, Omar briefly pops in there, 
he finally Marissa shows up again after he's been searching for her but there are all sorts of strange misdirection things like he you know he she veils herself from him for a minute and then he he looks away and then he takes the veil off and it's on a statue and he keeps seeing fleeting glimpses again of his family's coffins and uh uh he mistakes this beautiful uh uh, African woman uh, from behind for Marissa. Nothing is ever quite what it seems to be, but he does sit down and talk with her very briefly in which she tells him her name and she starts talking about the path of light and darkness with him. I like all these little bits of misdirection here. This feels very... Well, it's, I feel like the movie's pretty low budget. It doesn't have the highest budget, but that did not hinder the filmmakers and giving us something that's kind of dreamy, kind of creepy and very effective. These little moments where it might be her, but not and the way it's cut, man, I know you and I, our original connection happened to be with like low budget filmmaking mm-hmm. and it really kind of reminded me of that kind of filmmaking that that's smart. This is what we can pull off. This is what we want to do. And this is what's going to work. And it really responded well to it. I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there have been a few people out there who said, well, the skeletons are kind of plasticky looking, you know, and uh, well, okay, all right, that might be possibly true. But uh, but there are also, nice, like you said, nice subtle touches in this. And uh, For instance, when he decides that, you know, I'm going to try and follow this woman and, and find out more about her. And so he basically walks out of that part of the city and uh, walks down alleyways and corridors and the whole time he's being led by little things like there's a little slamming door or there's a little puff of smoke that appears you know a few feet from him or there's a little handkerchief blowing in the wind and it takes him out to this abandoned temple and at the edge of the desert very very cool and when he goes into this temple now from the outside it looks like an abandoned temple there's nothing there but once he's inside he could have just as easily just come back in time to when this thing was actually in use. It's no longer an ancient temple. It's it's opulent. There's people there. It's it's a lived-in place. And again, it's one of those things. Is this in his head? Is he imagining this? Like, what's happening here? Yep. I love it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, I feel like I'm not able to contribute a lot here because I'm just like, man, I love it. Man, I love it because I. No, it's like you said. It's you know, this is something you know that you haven't encountered. I do kind of wonder because when he goes into the temple and he meets up with Marissa, who has a great lot of leg shot in when he first meets her, like (laughs) she's lounging on this uh, this chase lounge or this group of pillows, you know, sort of caressing her long leg. He's got her strange servant Omar there, who tells him he must choose between the pathway. Like I said, between light and darkness, and all of a sudden we're treated to a uh, a dancing girl uh, interlude. You know, it, it reminded me a little bit of all the how the Hercules movies used to always have. You know, I said, well, we you know we budgeted for a dancing girl routine to show up in this, but they're you know they, these look like girls from you know a harem or something as opposed to the muscle popper films. You know, I think the last movie we had you on to talk about was one of these, uh, you know, these sword and sandal movies. So I totally see that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, and, and to, to even bring it back to Hammer a little bit, I mean, even she had a few moments like that. The, the Hammer film, She, where there's the dancing girls and we're just going to have these moments. So, right. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and, you know, and in, in the film, she starts asking you when when you wanted to be alive, 
what did you want out of that? And he says, well, what anybody wants, I wanted love, and, you know, and that was taken away from me. She says, well, I can give you that love. He says, I can, you know, I can give you a love that transcends everything. Unfortunately, their little tryst is broken up when all of a sudden the ring that he's wearing starts to really radiate these shafts of light. And uh, both Omar and Marissa seem to be terrified of it. Uh, When this happens, whatever spell that they seem to have on him seems to lose some of its uh, effectiveness. And he just sort of wanders out almost like in a drunken haze and collapses on the ground. Which is where he's found the next day. Uh, it's the archaeologist and his daughter that find him again, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of laying out there. Yeah. They find him the next day. This happens to be uh, one of the dig sites they're working on. And again, I mean, this whole thing is, is it in his head? Up until this point, we don't know. Is he having a break? Is he having? Is he breaking down? Is he having a mental break here? Did, did the stress of, of whatever he's been dealing with finally cause him to crack? And I love that it's so ambiguous. Yep. Obvious that he has an attraction for uh, Chantal, Gunter's assistant, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but it, she's a little bit rough on him. To you know, the, she it's obvious in the film what they're trying to set up is okay. Here you have this lovely, dark-haired woman who is kind of mysterious and shady, and then here you have this blonde you know, animated, full-of-life woman who is kind of, kind of probably the girl that your mom would like you to bring home or uh, the girl <laughs> next door, you know, as opposed yeah. to, the, to the femme fatale that he met in the old temple. But she's, she's a little bit rough on him, and she kind of upbraids him a lot, saying, you know, you, you know, you'd had a lot to drink the other night, and he says, you're raving about life and death and how you wanted to end it all. But, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that is just not, uh, I will, well, shall I use the word nagging on him? But, but she honestly cares about him and she wants him to pull him out of this depression that he's in. When they first meet at that party earlier, one of the things she asks him, did you kill them? Did you kill your wife? And it's like, it's an odd question to kind of just come out and ask. But as you're watching the movie, you see that she's kind of trying to fix him a little bit. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's for the first time I saw this, I'm like, well, that seems really weird. But when I was watching it the second time, kind of watching her body language and, and knowing, you know, where their journey together was going to go, I was like, well, okay, I can kind of see now where they're headed with this. Yeah. Yeah. She does take him out to the old temple and she shows him that, look, this is all ruins. There's nobody here. The place is a shambles. Uh, I don't know what you thought you saw, but this is some delusion that you're in and you need to shake yourself out of it and she makes reference to says you know i've had bad things happen to me in my life i've had somebody i love die and says but i'm i'm going to get over it and i'll find an even better relationship and she kind of hints well you know you could be that person yeah i'm right here (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) meanwhile back at the tomb somebody had mentioned there's a couple things in here they said this might be what you would have if you wanted to have a a mummy movie in which the the mummy was a vampire so out in the tombs they're excavating and at one point they mentioned hey this uh this temple that that you encountered this ghostly woman in you know it's about the same period as the tombs that we're opening up now and this grave that we're opening it we have indications that it was this exalted princess that was in there but they're holding off on opening the actual sarcophagus until they make sure they have all the inscriptions transcribed and things the head the archaeologist that we met earlier um 
Edward Underdown's character does get a little impatient. It's like, what? Why are we waiting? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to open it now. It's like, well, she's not going anywhere. You know, we we need to make sure we read this correctly, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a a nice little moment, too, because you know what happens anytime somebody wants to eagerly open up a tomb before they should. That's right. (laughs) We've seen enough horror movies to know what's going on. I mean, they just found that big black sarcophagus in Egypt now, and I'm so glad they haven't opened it up yet. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that. I've I've only read just a little (laughs) bit about that, but, you know, I, you know, I'm really wondering what's, you know, what the story is behind that thing. I mean, I saw the Tom Cruise movie, so I know what's put. No, I'm not even going to go there. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> although a friend of mine on Facebook did post a link to that news story and then added, guys, we're going to get to meet Dracula. So <laughs> could be, could be. Yeah. Maybe, maybe this is their, you know, maybe uh, a re- uh, attempt to relaunch the Dark Universe franchise. I don't know. Could be. <laughs> Uh, but I, but I do like that that you know we're we're doing the right thing we're not just gonna dive right in I mean it's one of the few times in a movie in a fantastical movie that the archaeologists actually behave like archaeologists uh-huh. as opposed to say like Indiana Jones just going in and breaking everything and taking whatever you know it, it's a nice moment nice yep. touch yep <laughs> so uh, so Chantal kind of takes uh, the archaeologist's advice and said you know maybe a change of scenery would do you guys some good so. She, he says, well, how would I get him to do that? She says, well, if it was up to me, maybe I would kidnap him. So, so she just kind of says she wants to get together with him, and they, they drive around in, on the, in their little sports car, and she takes him out to the ocean so they can have a little weekend away from the tombs and, the, as you put, the, the darkness and the decay. They have this great scene where she, uh, again, wearing a kind of a white bathing suit to emphasize, look, I'm the force of light here. They run into the surf and they're playing together lovingly and, and, you know, having a great time looking like, you know, this is the start of their relationship, except that when then she tries to touch him on the arm, the place where Marissa caressed him at one point, he kind of pulls back like I... Well, my soul is already claimed. Mm-hmm. She talks to him. She says, "You know, I, you know, she says, you are right. I, I am a person that needs love. I require it." And he says, "I, I can't see you destroy yourself like this." It seems like that does. Uh, she does manage to convince him. You know, so they do seem to be enjoying themselves, and they come out. They drive out. And by the way, I should mention, you know, with the sports car, I think. Uh, with the timing of this film, there is a lot of the flavor of James Bond to this thing because it's set in Morocco, like we said, and Morocco has not only you got, of course, you've got Casablanca, but also you have the city of Tangier, which is a, a, a place that was supposed to be a hotbed of spy espionage. Right, and I think I think that some of the European spy films may have also been set in Tangier. You know, so you've got that international atmosphere. You got the sports car. You have the the love of exotic, interesting international cities going mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. in this. And so she takes them out, and they visit a kind of a bazaar in which they find a tapestry which has he notices a portrait of Marissa's face on it. And they also encounter several people, a Leclerc, 
who was uh, basically the, uh, I, I guess he's the translator and head, uh, and he works for uh, the archaeologist Otto Gunther. Right. And we met him earlier at the party. And you also have this kind of comic relief American woman uh, <laughs> who, you know, who's, who's in there. And she's kind of like, well, you know, she's got this sort of strange Southern accent. She says, my husband, he says, I tried to learn languages, you know, and very over the top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Leclerc says, well, at least you could learn English. You could. And she goes, what? <laughs> but they find that tapestry with Marissa's face on it. And uh, after a long chase scene over someone that uh, Carver thinks is Omar, Leclerc mentions to him, he says, you know, I did manage to translate this. And I found out that this image of this woman that you see here, Marissa, she was a uh, a favored person in the royal family's harem, but she was unfaithful to her husband, and when he found out, he, he was going to have her buried alive. So even from the tomb, she plotted her revenge was to go ahead and have her husband killed. The plot failed, and probably that person was Omar that did that, so they buried him alive, too. Um, and so she put a curse upon all mankind that, you know, she would forever make mankind her slave, uh, the Princess Marissa, and, and they, I think she had a very nice title, like, she who walks the night. I can't remember quite exactly what it was, but uh, it was all very ominous. It, it does pick up on some of those threads, those touchstones that you see with mummy films, but it's clearly a vampire thing. The, the I, I rule the night. I walk the night at one point. Uh, William Sylvester's character says he's taken the hand of night, which is where you get the title uh, or one of the titles. It, it, it is very um, creepy. Like the idea of just, I mean, I've always thought the idea of burying people alive in mummy films or whatever has always been kind of creepy and scary. That's always been just awful. Mm -hmm. And to throw it into the vampire mythos or this vampire story, I thought, added an extra edge to the proceedings and starts to make you wonder, well, maybe this isn't exactly in his head. Maybe this is, this is really happening. And now he's, you know, modern day William Sylvester is now dealing with, with her trying to get out, trying to take over that sort of thing. I don't know if I want to ruin the end of the film. I mean, I kind of mentioned a little bit about what happened to Omar, but the, the ultimate confrontation here is who who is he going to pick is he going to pick the light or the dark is he going to go with the night or the day the love or i guess this other kind of love i don't know <laughs> no. i do okay. like the conflict here and i think again like i said william sylvester doesn't get a lot of credit for his performance in the movie i thought he was solid and this guy who is so straight so tightly wound that he's kind of balancing between both light and dark now, Chantel does want to kind of prove that you know this is all in his head, this isn't real, and she and uh, Marissa do end up getting connected, and Marissa wants to get rid of her to make uh, make her way clear to Paul. But like I said, I don't want to ruin the ultimate ending of the movie. We do get a couple sure. of of the vampire tropes here. I already mentioned what happened to Omar and that's because he's out in the sunlight. When the sun comes up, he's out in the middle of the desert and he's trying to get away. So he, he does die there. And Marissa does get hers as well in a, a semi a pretty traditional vampire way. But again, I think the, the point of the movie, or at least what my takeaway is, isn't, Oh cool. They killed a vampire. It's more, 
Paul's journey and this surreal dreamlike quest almost that Paul's on to reclaim his life. It just took a vampire to do it. <laughs> it took a, running into a vampire in Morocco yep. for him to realize, you know, this is the way to go. And my wife just walked in the room. It's like, yeah, same here. So, <laughs> you know, and, and one thing that kind of occurred to me, I mean, again, it, it might again could very well be, be like, well, you know, I think you're overanalyzing this stuff. You know, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. But what I thought of in this movie is that, okay, you have this person who, uh, who was in, uh, I guess England, I guess he's supposed to be in England to start off with. There's this freak storm that winds up killing his uh, family, but he's spared. And, and, and I should emphasize that, that they've got two kids that die. They don't emphasize that very much, but there's two coffins in there. I'm like, boy, that's, that's a pretty <laughs> yeah. element to throw into the mix. You know, no wonder he's where he's at mentally. I mean, he, everybody but him. Right, yeah. right. So he decides to go visit this doctor in, in uh, Morocco, and he gets caught up in this, you know, relationship with this woman. It's almost as if, and I thought about this, okay, she's been in this crypt for like 2,000 years or something, and somehow her evil decided the time is right for me to live again, and this person can be, I can extract his life force. So I have engineered this storm here. I've killed his family. I've put him in this state of drunken depression. Also, I can, you know, use him, you know, to renew myself. And this archaeological dig opening my crypt, I can live again and walk the earth once more. Should I use the term Lovecraftian? The idea of a, of a malevolent force that could engineer something across centuries and continents is a pretty darn scary idea to me. Alan, it wouldn't be a conversation on Monster Kid Radio if the word Lovecraftian didn't come up. <laughs> Just given how, how we got to actually meet each other in person. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know... You know, Derek, I opened a can of Campbell's soup the other day and poured it out in the pan, and I thought, you know, that kind of looks like a shug-off to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I watched an old episode of Vernon Shirley the other day. I said, you know, you know, they might be trying to indicate that this is uh, Keziah Mason here from the Shun House, or uh, from, from Dreams of the Witch House. No, you know, like, man, well, or maybe not. Maybe you might have nothing to do with it. He says, and that's the terrifying thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it wouldn't. Yeah. You know, you and I, though, I mean, we're, we're lurkers, man. We, we want to see. <laughs> it's, it's how it is. Um, I could see that, though. I could def definitely see a Lovecraftian element here. Was it intentional? I, I'm going to say probably not. Mm -mm. I, I I can't imagine, but then I don't know. I don't know anything about the writer, uh, Bruce Stewart's the person but who I wrote think the film. So. Not the Lovecraftian trappings, but maybe the idea of uh, cosmic horror. Yeah, yeah, um, this this deep time thing that mm -hmm. you know you, you see in like maybe not to the same extent, but in Quatermass in the Pit, for example, has this this concept of deep time and cosmic horror reaching across. So yeah, I could definitely see that. Certainly could see that, mm -hmm. and. One thing I should mention, you know, we talked about all these people in the cast. Uh, we should mention all the other genre films that William Sylvester did, of course. You know, 
He was in Gorgo, uh, Devils of Darkness, which I, I, I've watched a couple times. I'm not a huge fan of that. He's in Devils of Darkness. So I'm not familiar with that one. That one is a pretty obscure one as well. That came out on a double feature disc from one of those uh, midnight movie DVD sets that was out there for a little while. So you can find that one still. It, it's available. I don't think it's gotten a Blu-ray release, but it's about this... Boy, I think it's this cult of vampires that are in France, if I remember right. <laughs> so he just needs to stop going, you know, international, basically, is what we're saying. I, I Well, and th- from what I've read about him, he was actually born in the United States. And they kind of, it sounds like they, uh, the uh, the Europeans said, hey, you know, here's uh, here's an American star. We can get some international name value out of this person. Yeah, but you go to like, Morocco, you see vampires. You go to France, you run into vampires. Just stay home. <laughs> You know, he says, well, you know, as he says in the film, I'm a harbinger. You know, I, I lead the, I lead the, what the victim into the field and let death scythe sweep, sweep it clean or whatever it is. It looks like Devils of Darkness was released on DVD. Like you said, that double feature with Witchcraft, which is the movie with Lon Chaney and Diane Clark. But Devils of Darkness, I need to check out. It sounds like something I need to see. Yeah. No, and and the thing I was amazed, you know, unfortunately, William Sylvester, I don't think he ever quite got, you know, acclaim. I think in early in his career, he might have had a few starring roles, but he even showed up in uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I think right, he was one of right. the, um, well, I don't know if they had NASA in that, but he was one of the uh, government representatives, I think, for like the lunar colonies mm-hmm. and things. And he mm-hmm. had a bit part in the TV movie, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Okay, okay. And I was also going to say I showed um, that he was in Devil Doll as well in 1964, which is another movie that I really like. So, yeah, he's in that, too. Uh, did a lot of television as well. Even turned up on an episode of The Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't know that. Okay. Did, did a lot of TV. So, uh, no, I thought he was solid and he's got those genre connections, as does uh, Diane Clare. The author or the writer of the film, like I said, I don't know much about him, but Frederick Good, the director of the film, doesn't look like he did a lot of genre work. I think he did a lot of television, but, you know, it, it, there were no films or TV programs that I recognized. Yeah, in same that list. here. Same here. I, sometimes I wonder that with this film, again, I, this is one of those things where it seems like the details on it are very obscure. Like we mentioned when we were talking about Goliath versus the vampires. Mm-hmm. There, boy, there really has not been a lot written about this. About There's this not. And, I, and um, I, don't, I don't know what, what that's about. I don't know how that happens. I, I know that over the years, I'm sure the rights to this film – swapped hands and i tried to do some digging and it looks like if i'm right if i'm reading everything right on the u.s copyrights website that this film is part of a package of over 2,000 movies currently owned by a bank in germany wow okay i i think if i'm reading this correctly but i i i don't know for sure because once you start digging into these collections and you know, these libraries of titles, it's kind of hard to track where things are. And then I was also just looking up Hand of Night. I wasn't looking up Beast of Morocco, so it might come up somewhere else. But yeah, I don't know why this one is so obscure. I feel like it needs some more attention. It could really benefit from a nice transfer. I think clean it up a little bit. It would look even better. I agree, yeah. Because there's some gorgeous photography here. I mean, it's actually shot in yeah. Morocco, and they take full advantage of the Moroccan landscape. And, and, you know, there's an element to this film. This is, in a way... 
there's a little bit to this film that's kind of like, have you ever seen The Embalmer? Okay, <laughs> well, have. you know how in The Embalmer, there's this whole part in the middle of the film where basically it's a, like a travelogue. And, you know, and the, guy, and the guy is showing off the city and the different features of it to, uh, I, 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 think they're, I think they're like uh, uh, schoolgirls or something, young, young women from a, a boarding academy or something. And he says, well, now over here we have the Piazza San Marco. And, you know, and, and that's kind of this way, too. They, they show the lovely beaches. They show the desert. They show the picturesque bazaars and the buildings, like, like kind of like Casablanca-style buildings that they have in it. Um, and I also think there might have been a uh, a little bit of for the cast involved. <clears throat> I remember one time reading Juliet Mills when somebody said, "Hey, you made this movie Beyond the Door, this sort of Exorcist ripoff. Why'd you make that movie, Juliet?" And one of the reasons she says, "Huh, I felt like I could use a trip to Italy." I <laughs> I kind of wonder, "Hey, let's go to Morocco for." <laughs> <laughs> for a two-week shooting schedule. Hey, you know, I was talking to Victoria, the first time I met Victoria Price, uh, I, I was talking to her and I said, you know, I love your father's work. In fact, I just watched Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine and then the follow you know, the Dr. Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs. And she looked at me and said, yeah, my dad wanted to go to Italy for the summer. So, you know, so hey, yeah. Speaking you know? <laughs> of that, I should mention Victoria Price also came out here in St. Louis recently. Tom Stockman, who's kind of set up the Vincentennial celebration for her father several years ago. He brought her in. She did some speaking engagements and she hosted a viewing of The Pit and the Pendulum here, which I got to see, which was cool. And I got to ask her some questions. And one of the most interesting thing is, but if you had enough money, like I think the price on this was $110, you could go on a little van tour of St. Louis with her that afternoon. And she'd show you all the houses that the Price family had stayed in. Of course, he was born here in St. Louis. And he'd show you the remnants of the candy factory that her grandfather uh, ran. She went to would show you the star on the University City uh, Walk of Fame, where Vincent Price's star is, and take you around to those things. And you, you could just have an afternoon with her. That would be nice. I, I didn't quite have the money for that, but I did manage to get to see the Pit and the Pendulum showing. That's very cool. That is so cool. Yeah, she's great. Uh, she was at Monster Bash, and she was just wonderful, and she's just fun to talk to. I mean, I've, I've had her on the show a couple of times now, and uh, I would love to have her on again. She's just fantastic. Very cool. Well, this movie, The Hand of Night, if you can get your hands on it, Alan and I both highly recommend it. It is a little slow in spots, and even though Alan and I both watched it late at night, I think it's worth staying up for. <laughs> I think I think it's definitely worth having a cup of coffee and enjoying because it yeah. even though it does move slow in spots, I think it it gives you some great payoff at the end. I think again, like I said, I love the music. It's uh, John and Joan Shakespeare did the score. Uh, I think it's wonderful music. I, I love the performances all around, and it's just a unique take on the vampire story. It's a real curiosity, like you said. I mean, one thing is, well, she is. A, they even bring up uh, that she is a vampire. They they have a discussion. Actually, use that word. And he says, one of those things, like with fangs and the bloody shirt that comes out of the slums of Hungary or something. And he says, well, in this case, we're talking more about something that 
drains the will to live. So several people online had mentioned, you know, she really seems to be almost more of a succubus than a vampire. You know, she's seducing him and, again, trying to get her to, I don't know if she wants to ultimately for him to kill himself and maybe his life would renew hers or if she's just trying to get him on this pathway to uh, to darkness. And one person online brought up a really good point. A lot of the movie makes references. They talk about the religion that these people follow. You call it a religion? I don't know. But the idea of light and darkness, of evil and good, always in combat, predates even our Christianity and Islam into something called Zoroastrianism. Basically, this was, I think, the first belief system in which you had a lord of good, I think, and I'm probably getting my names mixed up. This is all going back to my philosophy class from 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 junior college. But, you know, you had a force of good called the Hura Mazda, or I think Ormazd was another one of his names. And then you had the force of darkness, which is fighting him, called Ariman. And if you remember in Robert E. Howard's, and of course, all roads lead back to Robert E. Howard. He really does. In the novel Hour of the Dragon or Conan the Conqueror, the conspirators bring the evil wizard Zeltotun back to life using a magical jewel called the Heart of Ariman. Mm-hmm. So it's not Kevin Bacon that we're all related by six degrees of separation. It's Robert E. Howard <laughs> that we're all related to with six degrees of Kevin yeah. So. Yeah, especially when it comes to you and I, man. Lovecraft, Robert <laughs> E. Howard, you know, it's just how it is. What's your favorite Robert E. Howard story? The Blackstone. Okay, yeah. I love The Blackstone, but uh, I also have a soft spot for Castaneto's last song, which was actually the last film that I made when I thought I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up. Okay. Uh, we actually did a short adaptation of that, and it showed at a, a Lovecraft Film Festival years ago. Okay. I find myself falling into his poetry all the time. Did you ever read Black Canaan? Oh, yeah. That's my. That's probably – a friend of mine mentioned that one. Is like, doesn't that have like a swamp full of – Voodoo priests and wear so. alligators and stuff. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's pure pulp. It's pure. Yeah, pulp. yeah. I know Howard. You know, for the man, this is not what people tuned into the show for. But uh, <laughs> Robert E. Howard is known for Conan and the Sword and Sorcery. But really, he did so much more: the poetry, the westerns, the horror stories. Like I said, the Blackstone is my favorite Howard short story, and Black Canaan again. It's like a regional horror story. Uh, just so good. Pigeons from Hell is fantastic, and and one of my favorite episodes of the Boris Karloff thriller anthology uh, or tv show there we go there's our tie back into monster kid radio it it was a thriller episode Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) some great stuff that's right so no no i agree so but everybody here not only not only did you get your uh exposure to this but you got a little uh lesson in philosophy and uh, medieval history and stuff uh from it oh i did want to mention that one reason to investigate this film this is one of those movies like she devil that Hmm. Uh, it's just kind of overlooked. She-Devil, the movie The Unearthly Stranger, the movie Invasion with uh, Yoko Tani and I think Irene Zhu from the Fu Manchu movies is in that, The Snake Woman. A lot of these things haven't, again, it's like exactly as you said, the rights to them are lost in this 
immense legal black hole so people don't have a chance to see them. And I, I got to see this one again, like I said, when I was about 15 on local TV. And I've, I've read other places. Some people have written in and says, this one used to play locally at, at some, some, uh, on some station in New York. And another one that they would show were uh, The Black Pit of Dr. M, the Mexican film, yeah. with the English dubbing. Oh, so, wow. Okay. There's another, so there still are little archaeological finds to make up, e- to, to be uncovered, you know, even by the most uh, ardent horror movie fans. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, one thing that I worried about when I first started Monster Kid Radio is that eventually I'm going to run out of movies to talk about. But boy, was I mistaken. There are so many films out there, movies that I never even heard of until somebody like Alan brings it up online. Uh, there, there's lots to explore and dig and, and fi- dig for and find. This is one of them. This is one of those gems. Highly, highly recommended. Alan, before I let you go, before we wrap this up, you know, we skipped something at the very beginning of this call. We never played around to the Classic Five, man. Oh, okay. All right. I'm looking forward to it. I'm sitting here. I'm looking at my deck of cards. It's like, why didn't we do that yet? Let me give it one quick shuffle. And with me, the the issue is not so much that am I going to get it wrong, but it's like, uh, am I going to be sitting here for about 15 minutes thinking of an answer? Uh, can you edit that out? <laughs> yeah, I'll edit all this out. We'll okay. All right. Cool. Okay. <laughs> okay. Card number one. Oh, for listeners who don't know, the Classic Five is a card game that we play here on Monster Kid Radio. It's a number of cards with questions relating to classic monster movies. Which one do you like better? This or that? Yes or no? There are no wrong answers. It's an icebreaker. It's a game. It's the Classic Five. Are you ready to play, Alan? You bet. All right, here we go. Card number one right off the top. This comes from the Hammer Films uh, expansion deck. Who never appeared in a Hammer film, but you wish they had? Okay, let me think. I'm trying to think of what was what was going on at that time and other, and other actors that might be in there. Oh, okay. Who was the actor who was in Tower of Evil? He was in The Devil Doll. He's an interesting. He was in, oh, he was in the film Bryant Holiday. Okay. He's a very distinctive-looking actor who had very, uh, I, I, shall I say this, little pockmark uh, on his cheeks. Yeah. But he was a very yeah. stern actor who, I, you know, lent a lot to these roles that he was in. And so I think he would have been perfect, but I think he made most of his films for all these little independent companies. But I think he would have been a, a great villain or something in the Hammer films. He was in the projected man as well. Yes, yeah, the projected yes. man. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Yep. That would have been great. Oh, yeah, no, he's got a great look. That would have been fun. All right. All right, card number two. Who's your favorite actor to play the Phantom of the Opera? I guess I'm, I'm going to be a little bit of a heretic here, and I should say Lon Chaney Sr., but for me, when I was growing up, Herbert Lom, just that strange-looking mask that he had on. Yeah, I'm going to say Herbert Law because when I was a kid— I had a set of those, I, I think it was called Frankie and His Gang cards that, you know, it had funny sayings at the bottom. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Remember one had, one was, uh, I had for Godzilla, even before I knew it was Godzilla, it said, wow, and he was breathing fire. So talk about bad breath. But <laughs> I had one of these and I had, I, at that point, I hadn't even seen the Herbert Lom version of Phantom of the Opera, but that image of him with that strange cloth-like mask with one eye concealed, man, that really got my attention. So I will put down mm-hmm. Herbert Long. Well, like I said, there's no wrong answers. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
You know, that's a good one, too. That's a good film. I really like that one. All right, card number three. The original Nosferatu or the original Dracula? Oh, oh for me, even though I love Nosferatu, I, I got to go with the original Dracula. I am Dracula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. Rats. 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 Thousands. Millions of them. But no, this is no dream. This is Dracula. The original terrifying story of a maniac and a man who lived after death, lived on human blood, took the form of a vampire bat, and lured innocent girls to a fate truly worse than death. Dracula? Oh, what, what's he done to you, dearie? Tell me. He came to me. He opened a thing in his arms, and he made me drink. That one has a lot of sentimental value to me because uh, my mother was Hungarian. You mentioned that your mom made a lot of goulash for you when you were a kid. I've eaten a lot of goulash in my life, uh, courtesy of my parents. But, you know, a lot of times my dad would be on the road. He'd be working, he'd be working in uh, traveling, doing his uh, job as sort of an uh, industrial mechanic at different cities. And sometimes my mom and I would stay up late and watch old movies on the weekend, and one of them was the original Dracula. So I enjoyed that. Uh, loved Bela Lugosi's performance. And my mom claimed that she could translate some of the things that the villagers said. You know, as uh, Dwight Pride, Jonathan Harker, is leaving, and he said they were saying things like, God be with him and God protect him in Hungarian. At least that's what she said. That's very cool. That's very cool. All right, card number four. This is from the Universal Expansion deck. Which movie do you prefer? Revenge of the Creature or The Creature Walks Among Us? Boy, I, I really got to go with Revenge of the Creature. You know, and I, I know that, I know that, uh, I, 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 uh, I <laughs> don't like The Creature Walks Among Us as well. The look of the new monster, it is a new monster type that they came up with. Mm -hmm. But it kind of strips some of the romance out of this amphibious creature, you know, when he, and that of course adds to the, the sadness and the drama at the very end of yeah, literally true. a fish out of water. But mm -hmm. revenge of the creature has the 3d. It has the setting in, is it sea world marine land? If I remember right, he goes up and down the coast of abducting people. Mm -hmm. I got to go with revenge of the creature. Well, and it's also got John Agar, so you're oh, not there wrong. You <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but the creature walks among us. I've actually warmed up to that a lot over the years, okay. but not because of the creature, but because of the other the human stories happening there. Right. I really like, but but it's not John Agar. So mm -hmm. anyway, all right. Final card. Back to the Hammer ex expansion deck. Who's your favorite actress to appear in a Hammer film? 
boy, help me, help me out here, Derek. I'm sorry. Um, who is the blonde actress who is in Dracula has risen from the grave? Veronica Carlson. Yeah. Well, okay. I really, you know, I, I really like her, but okay, here, let me throw another one on. I really like Diane Clare, like you mentioned in Plague of the Zombies. I really like her. But mm-hmm. let's let's give me somebody a little more an interesting looking woman um, who had some of the, the more interesting roles there. How about I'll say Jacqueline Pierce. Ooh, yeah. In Plague of the Zombies and also played the cursed young lady in the reptile. There you go. Yeah, no, she's great as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was the classic five, Alan. Thanks for playing. How do you feel? I feel good. I feel, Excellent. I feel, I feel vindicated. <laughs> Dude, are, are, were my answers up to snuff? Oh, they were great answers. They were great <laughs> answers. Like I said, there's no wrong answers. Okay. Alan, I appreciate you doing this and uh, you know coming on the show and, and talking about and introducing me to movies that I never even heard of before. Although next time, we really got to do the Astro Zombies. We really have to. <laughs> I know we've been talking about it for years. It's got to happen. I know, I know. That's a very fun film. One thing I will say about that, and people comment about the Astro Zombies, is it really gets weighed down with John Carradine doing the techno babble. And for me, that's like manna from heaven. John, tell me again how the interocitor fuse on the thing <laughs> is going to you know, keep the Astro Man morally pure and how he has a uh, synthetic plastic stomach. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that to me? <laughs> Sign me up, man. Sign me up. I'm yeah. a, I want it. That's what I want. I want John Carradine in a feature film just <laughs> giving me techno babble left and right. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for it. That's right. Um, now, before, before we take off, could I do the trailer for this film for you? Oh, sure. This is, like I said, a while back I had some tapes that I made of, of some of these, of when I was a kid, of some of these. And they actually had a commercial for Beast of Morocco. Again, still not sure why that title is better than Hand of Night. But anyway, but the trailer went a little something like this. And you have introductory fanfare music. And then it says, Morocco, land of strange contrasts where the menace of the past is ever-present. Starring William Sylvester as Carver, a man wandering in the strange twilight between light and darkness, between reason and insanity. Choose before it is too late. Choose between these two women. And then you have outgoing fanfare music. Ta-da! By John and Jones Shakespeare. I think. (laughs) That's amazing. I love it. I love it. Cool. <laughs> well, Alan, thanks again. Uh, I look forward to having you on the show again in the future and maybe bumping into you at a convention or two down the line. It's always great to chat with you, my friend. Thank you for doing this. Sure appreciate it. Thanks so much, Derek. Always have a great time doing it. My wife and I are off to, you know, if you weren't in Portland, we'd uh, invite you to go see Hotel Transylvania 3 with us today, this <laughs> afternoon. Well, I haven't seen Hotel Transylvania 1 or 2, so I'd probably be lost. Yeah, there's so much essential plot that you have to pick up from the first two films. You know, I, I actually, I, I'm glad that there are now three feature films directed at children that parents are watching with them that feature Dracula 
Frankenstein's monster, werewolves, mummies. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? I, I'm not a big Adam Sandler fan, you know, but but still, I mean, it's Dracula, it's Frankenstein's monster. So much so that they even turn up on things like the Food Network and the people on these reality shows on the Food Network know what these characters are and are talking at length about how they identify with Dracula. How amazing is that, that it's still out there? Yep. That's wonderful. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that, you, that we still have that consciousness of these things. Yeah, you betcha. That's right. Yeah, very true. Well, I hope you enjoy the film, man. I sure will. Hey, and you know what? I was hoping to get out to G-Fest. I know Mark Bailey was out there of Monster Kid Radio listeners and things. And uh, mm -hmm. I've been there once. Uh, hopefully, I'll get out there again. They had Bob Eggleston as one of the artists who often does uh, Cthulhu, as well as Godzilla, was one of the guests this year, and I would have loved to have talked to him. Exactly, yeah. Someday I'm going to get out to G-Fist. Someday. But Mar Mark is out there having a great time. Now, this episode probably won't go out for several weeks, but at this point, people have heard a lot of the recordings that he got from me. He actually had some guests there, or some other attendees there, record messages for Monster Kid Radio, and he sent that in. Plus, he won an award for a short film that he did, which that. is awesome. I saw that. Yep. Okay, best, you know, great accolades for Mark, you know, and I love the interactive monster attack map that he does as well. Oh, he does He does great work. Mm -hmm. I love what he does. And hopefully he and I will be working on something again in the future. I'd love to have him involved in a project I'm working on. So Sounds good. We'll make some things happen. All right, Alan. Thanks again. Have a good rest of your day and enjoy the flick. Alan, brother, you know... I know you live in the St. Louis area and I'm all the way out here in the Portland, Oregon area. And that's probably for the best because if we lived anywhere near each other in proximity of each other and we could get together and meet up on a semi-regular basis, I'd never get anything done because you know, every conversation would end with something about Robert E. Howard or Lovecraft or who knows what we would just stay up for hours chatting. No work's getting done. So I'm glad you're able to be part of the show via Skype. Let's get you on the show again in the future. And I swear, man, we got to get John here for the Astro Zombies. Let's make it happen. Can we get it in by the end of the year? Fingers and tentacles crossed. Beware the Astro Zombies. They mutilate, they torture, they kill. Spine-tingling horror, unspeakable shock, and breathless excitement will grip you as you watch living organs ripped from the bodies of voluptuous females as beating hearts and throbbing brains are transplanted to create the Astro Zombies. Cringe in terror, scream in fright as these skull-faced monsters strike blindly at living flesh and the motion picture screen flows in the blood-drenched wake of the Astro Zombies. The beautiful, voluptuous, deadly, vicious, Satana, a woman who would stop at nothing to gain control over the Astro Zombies, whose creed was kill, kill, kill. John Carradine as the deranged scientist, Wendell Corey as the doctor who opposes him, match wits in this bloody, sadistic, terror-filled, suspense-laden horror film of brutal mutilations and senseless killings as the Astro Zombies go berserk and threaten a city with death. Watch it and you die a thousand deaths. The Astro Zombies in color, coming soon to your local theater. You'll meet her at night. In a dark place, she's beautiful, and she'll be waiting for you, waiting to love you to death. <coughs> New World Pictures presents The Velvet Vampire. She'll love you to death. And on the same bill, this second horror shocker, Scream of the Demon Lover. Was he a man? Or was he the depraved monster resurrected from a grisly death to stalk the night with a loathsome craving which only the most unspeakable horrors could satisfy? You'll find out when you hear the scream of the demon lover. It may be the last sound you hear. 
see The Velvet Vampire and Scream of the Demon Lover, both in shocking color, rated R. If you see them at night, don't walk home alone. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer, that 1972 blaxploitation film starring Fred Williams, love that movie. Hammer! This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Better not be the 2003 flick starring Adam Goldberg, you know, the Hebrew Hammer. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Calling on all the spirits of everyone who's ever died in this house. Paramount Pictures presents Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Jessica! Jessica! Who are you? Why have you been following me? I'm in your blood. You want to die, girl. You want to die. Let's Scare Jessica to Death. The screen has captured cold, deadly horror before, but this time it's all turned loose in your direction. Leave me! Leave me! Wait, you be quiet! I hear you! Let's scare Jessica to death. Rated GP. Hello, it's us. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I said I would intro us, but oh. that was so much better than anything I would do. <laughs> Brenda's on the show because Hello. we got feedback and, well, it's her job. It's my job. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting paid well for this job. I let you live with me. <laughs> That's the payment. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. All right. Um, anyway, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? All right, are you uh, looking forward to October? Yes. Becoming an October widow? Oh, yes, very much. I'm just kidding. Wait a minute. (laughs) No, I'm looking forward to, we already have crunchy leaves that you can stomp on, and that makes it a satisfying crunch, (laughs) and chili, and football, and... Football's already going. I know, but... Are you watching? No, because I've had, I've been helping my friend with the estate situation mm. and i just got back from juno and i don't know i feel a little overwhelmed right now i came back and the place was a little bit in disarray no it wasn't yes it was it was fine it was perfect there Nothing were bad piles happened at all. everywhere there's what piles but they were good piles no <laughs> 
Make it sound like I threw a rager while you were gone. Oh, no. No, you threw a bachelor. No, I did. (laughs) (sighs) I binge watched Supernatural while working on stuff in the living room, okay? Okay. 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 And I watched a bunch of monster movies, too. Yes. So, anyways, I'm trying to get into it, and I have everything for making chili, but it's going to be 85 degrees tomorrow. Yeah, I'm not too down with that. While I don't want it to be super rainy and gloomy the beginning of October because I'm going to be outside a lot with the Lovecraft Film Festival, I'm ready for the sun to be like, yeah, you know, I'm good. Yeah. And and kind of just fade away back a little bit. Fade away. Just fade away. You know, and then the apocalypse happens because we're all frozen. (laughs) It's a very cold (laughs) apocalypse. Well, (laughs) iceberg iceberg apocalypse. Man, I'm trying to make a funny word and I can't. Apocalypse. Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds like lice took over the world. Apocalypse. No, I like it. Giant lice who want to eat your blood, uh, but only through your scalp. <laughs> they're not really a problem, except for the whole Lyme disease thing. Lice don't have lice. Oh, wait, no, those are, are ticks. Did you know you can breathe inside of the morgue section of a hospital? Oh, hush up and read an email. <laughs> Derek, I very much enjoyed the podcast covering the Rally Awards. It was a lot of fun. If I disagreed with just a whole lot of winners, I shall say nothing more. I didn't vote, so I have no right to complain. Still, a lot of fun, even when it was a lot of wrong. <laughs> I did note one thing said by your lovely co-host, Steve Sullivan. He commented on how much he enjoyed Riders to the Stars, but he questioned if he would have enjoyed it had he seen it when he was a kid. Well, I did see it when I was a kid. Riders to the Stars made it to TV pretty quickly after its theatrical release, and I saw it on the day after Christmas, 1958, on a local afternoon movie broadcast. Though I had seen a couple of monster movies by then, I'm pretty sure that it was the first science fiction movie I ever saw, and about three weeks before my ninth birthday. I loved it. Totally. Utterly. So you can tell Mr. Sullivan that if my experience is any guide, he would have enjoyed Riders to the Stars, even as a little kid, just as this no longer little, no longer kid did. Enjoy the show and keep up the good work. Rick P. Rick. Since that's how he started to email by just saying my name. Oh. Rick. <laughs> uh, I agree with you 100%, more so than that if I could, if there was more. Than, anyway, I love Riders to the Stars a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I have no shame in the fact that I put it on the ballot regardless or is it irregardless of anybody telling me I should or not. I mean, I love that movie so much. Did you? Do you think you would have liked it as a kid? It's really hard to say because my journey to being a monster kid was a little different than most, so I don't know. I really don't know. Mm. Well, if Rick's experience is any guide, yes. Sure, sure. Yes, you would have. As far as there being a whole lot of wrong, um, (laughs) you know what? Um, I I received some comments, a lot of support. There's a group of us that are considering starting a support group since Godzilla beat the gill man. Oh. <laughs> uh, we're thinking about setting up like a virtual hangout, like a Google hangout kind of thing. 
Uh, we're going to meet every other Wednesday um, and, and kind of trade off who brings the donuts. Virtual donuts. Virtual since donuts, you're meeting course. in Google Chat or whatever. And everybody's really excited when it's my turn because I'm going to bring voodoo donuts. But They're know, going to be virtual. Well, I'm just going to eat them all. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think your body is down with that kind of consumption anymore. <laughs> it's true. I don't want it's to true. have to haul you down the stairs in a diabetic coma. <laughs> the gill man's worth it, man. Mm. Maybe not. No. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was a lot of fun to do. And I had a blast doing the, uh, the rallies. And I'm looking forward to next year, though I'm a little terrified of 55, because there's a lot of good movies in 55. You're you're terrified because you'll have a plethora of options. Yeah, to kind of narrow it down, it's going to be a mess. Or you could just put it all in there and let other people narrow that it down. That seems like a lot. <laughs> that seems like a lot to ask. So, <laughs> thanks for writing in, man. Next email. Sure. Hi, Derek and Brenda. Hi, I beat you. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> You did it again, Derek. You made me have to spend a Sunday watching movies. You fiend. Thanks to you, I have started watching The Mims. I got Monster of Phantom Lake, Cave Girls on Mars, and Terror from Beneath the Earth in so far. I enjoyed each of them and probably would have skipped them if not for MKR. So thanks. I also got in Bride of the Monster. It is awesome to watch Bella. His dialogue with Strovsky is great. I recently discovered a very interesting movie through Dr. Drek. Again, thanks to MKR. Bride of the Gorilla. What a cool movie. It's fun and does a good job of keeping the audience guessing as to the nature of the monster. And it has Lon Chaney in it in a non-monster role. It was a bunch of fun. Thank you again for all of the extensive work you do for the Monster Kid realm. We appreciate you both. Keep them scary. Tom G. from GoForthAndGame.com Yeah, so he found Mim. So I'm curious, of the three titles that he mentioned, Bren? Yes. Which of those do you think you'd watch if you had to pick one of those three, just based on the title? Um, I don't know. I'm interested of the, you know, think of people living in caves on Mars. But Monster of Phantom Lake, maybe it's a little Gilman-like and you would like it. I think of you when I select movies. I just want you to know. <laughs> or Terror movie. from Beneath the Earth. Mm, Cave Girls on Mars. Okay. Maybe they'll be a little skimpy and... I think we just figured out what we're doing this afternoon over a late lunch. Thank oh. you, hon. This was awesome. <laughs> See how I trapped you into that? <laughs> we think, got too much to do. Cave Girls on Mars, I, I think you might like because there are women in tight outfits. However, nice. Terminate the Earth is a good family story about family. Oh. With a monster, of course. Yeah, but I'm not that into kids. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> so what's the monster from Phantom Lake? It was his very first movie. Yes. Monster from Phantom Lake was the very first one. And you can tell it's his first. It's not bad. It's just you can tell it's his first. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? He's mm -hmm. progressed since then. Right. In fact, as we're recording this upcoming weekend, if not tonight, I'm not sure when exactly it's happening, it's the premiere of his 13th film. Mm. 13 movies in 13 years. Does one every year. That's is, insane. Right? It's insane. Guns of the Apocalypse is the one that's oh. coming out this time. 
I can't wait to see it. I cannot wait to see it. Monster Phantom Lake is the very first one, and it's a monster in a lake. It's not very Gil Man per se, mm. but it is an aquatic monster, which I like. Did he design a monster that actually was underwater? You don't have any underwater shots, oh. but you see a lot of them kind of rising out of the lake. Well, that's awesome that he designed a monster, though, that had to get wet and mm-hmm. come out. Yeah. And it's been designed, I believe, three different times because it was designed once for this film. It makes a cameo appearance in another movie. And at that point, I believe they had to redo it. Oh. And then Monster Phantom Lake was also adapted as a stage musical. And I believe <laughs> it was a different costume at that point, too. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And the stage musical is really cool. It's available on DVD as well. Highly recommended over at MIMS website at SaintEuphoria.com. Check the links in the show notes. He does so much. He does. He does. Yes. But also check out Go Forth and Game. Yes. Um, remember a second ago I said you're adorable? No. Well, maybe. I said I'm... you're adorable about something. I forget what it was. Me too. <laughs> but I might have to take it back a little bit because you mispronounced somebody's name. <gasps> Did I say Tom wrong? No. Who's <laughs> <laughs> one of the patron saints of Monster Kid Radio, hon? I'm I'm trying to Bela. Bela. I said Bella. Bella. Is the <gasps> oh, I understand. Bela I'll go. I'll go nose and toes and think about what I did. No, you just have to watch Dracula with me now. Really? Why do the movies keep piling up this time? Because these are good. Mo- you know what? Bride of the Monster. That's what we'll watch. Because Bela's in that one. Mm. Tor Johnson's in that one. Mm. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> ah. <laughs> uh, thanks for writing in, Tom. That's awesome. And yes, Bride of the Gorilla. Very cool. We have one more message that came in from Facebook. Oh. And this came from Rod from the Nashicast. Oh, hi, Rod. Listen to the Monster Rally Award show today and just wanted to say I'm sorry that the creature lost to Godzilla. It's a franchise, buddy. Way too many more films adds up to way too many more votes. And now I've gone backwards and I'm listening to the Wasp Woman episode because I missed it before. Loving the discussion and it's just whetting my appetite for that Blu-ray that's coming out soon with both cuts of the film and a commentary track. I love that film way more than I should. Rod. Wasp Woman episode with Tracy was a lot of fun. Had a blast doing that. And Tracy will be involved in the upcoming Plan 9 by 9 podcast. That's right. On one of the episodes, the other yes. episode that we're going to be doing. Since we had that stretch goal. Rod's going to be in my support group. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, your digital donuts support group. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I do want to comment. When Rod sent that message in, he did it through his phone, through Facebook Messenger. Mm-hmm. And he, I don't know if he was driving or he just couldn't use the keys or whatever, but he did it text to speech. Speech to text. That's what I meant to say. Yes. And he said the discussion of Wasp Woman wedding his appetite like getting married oh well because yeah. it has a commentary truck <laughs> is how it came through then <laughs> i thought that was it's funny. a commentary truck i, I want to drive a commentary truck <laughs> it just gives commentary as it drives down the road exactly this traffic is terrible yes <laughs> just a big black ups fan style van you know yes. with, a, with a pa system attached to the top right and it just gives commentary yep. on current events everything just when i'm driving and around. random movie comments yep. People driving, walking down the street, like, oh, look at what that person's wearing. That is a brave color combination. (laughs) Good job. 
I could never pull that off. <laughs> yeah? Perfect. All right. All right, we have a voicemail that came in. Okay. Hey, Derek. How you doing? This is uh, Eric, a longtime listener. Um, unfortunately, last several months, I kind of got behind, had a lot of crazy things going on in life, as you know that goes for many people, and but I'm catching up, and I'm kind of bouncing around over your last few episodes, and well, I got to tell you, first, a little few episodes back, uh, The Body Snatcher uh, with Boris Karloff, I knew about this movie forever. But I, I never got around to seeing it, unfortunately. And after listening to that episode, I'm like, you know, I gotta, I gotta go back and, and check that one out. Man, I tell you that, where has that movie been? I, I wish I had seen that earlier. That is, I think you guys are right. It might be, it might be Boris Karloff's best performance. I don't know. I mean, him and the black cat really is one that really sticks in my mind. You know how evil he is in that, but. This is up there, and it, it, it's a gorgeous film. I'm so thank you for the episode. It's really entertaining. Also, um, I'm down here in uh, Southern California and listened to a couple of your episodes. And I think this was a little, this is way back actually. Uh, Colton, I think it was back in April. You had him on, and he was talking about Monster Palooza and Rick Baker and Elvira. Um, I was there, and I've been going to Monster Palooza every single year. And I hope you can make it sometime. It really is a stellar event. Being here on the West Coast, as you know, we don't we don't really see too much of that stuff in conventions. And Monster Palooza is it, it's the best one that I've been to out here. I do need to make it to Monster Bash. Hearing you go and all the great things about it, I, I am going to make it happen. But come check it out, yeah, if you're able. It would be great to meet you next uh, April. And um, man, just Monster Kids galore. Yeah, it has a lot of the modern stuff, but seeing all the classic horror stuff, you know, at, at the uh, the boots and, you know, seeing Frankenstein and, and Dracula and Creature and all that great stuff, it's it's everywhere. And it's so great to see these young people, like, in their teens and 20s and even younger, embracing those characters. They're not just into the Freddies and the Jasons and the Michael Myers and all that stuff. You know, that, that stuff's great. It has its place. But bring back the classic monsters, and it's awesome to see these younger generations gained into it. But anyway, just thought I'd give you a rain. Thank you for all you do. And, uh, I'm proudly supporting your Plan 9 uh, Kickstarter, and keep it up. And we'll keep listening. Take care. Bye. So first off, big thank you to Eric for being part of the Plan 9 by 9 Kickstarter. Mm. Thank you so much for being involved with that. Really appreciate it. And everybody who's kicked in. Thank you to everybody. Over $1,000 right now. I mean, it's kind of amazing because if you can do it in a reasonable amount of time, it's like one paycheck, right? Yeah. It's pretty awesome. It's incredible. Pretty awesome. Uh, Monster Palooza. Yes, in California. I would love to go to Monster Palooza at some point. I, I hear about it. Uh, Kyle from the Kaiju Cast mm-hmm. usually brings a crew to Monster Palooza, and I get to hear about it there. I know David Colton from the Rondo Awards goes, and I read about it over at the Classic Horror Film Board. I would just love, love to go. And it is a little bit more uh, general. There's more than just classic horror, but there's always a good classic horror representation based on what I understand. Mm. Based on what I understand. That, that doesn't sound right for some reason. Oh, okay. Anyway, just what I hear. Yes. And well, he was saying, too, that there's a lot of classic stuff there. And yeah, that is so cool that you've got younger people getting into the classic stuff. That's awesome. And, and to me, that's one of the most important things that any of us can do as Monster Kids is to share that love for mm-hmm. this stuff with others. And that's why I do the podcast and write and, and blab about it on Facebook and, and all that other stuff. I just 
want to share that with people because they're such good movies, man. So you're an evangelical monster kid. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Something like that. Something like that. So it can't be that expensive to fly to SoCal, right? I believe it's in Burbank. Burbank. So I don't think it's as cost prohibitive as going to Monster Bash. Now, Right. Monster Bash is amazing. Right. And that's typically we've had to pick one thing and that's yeah. where you like to go. Yeah, I guess there's hotel on top of it, transportation, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's a thing. It's a thing. I yeah. would love to go, though. I would love to go. I've had people on the show who have uh, wanted to meet up if I get out there. Mm -hmm. uh, like Eric, apparently. Uh, David yeah. Colton would want to meet up. Uh, Frank Dietz lives out in that area. He's mm -hmm. been on the show a couple of times. Mm -hmm. I'd love to meet up with him. And I want to go to that Best Buy that's got... I'm sorry, not the Best Buy. Is it's it? a fries with fries, the alien ship. Yeah, with all the science fiction stuff. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Schultz is out that way. And of course, Kyle and company will be out there. So I'd have somebody to hang out with. I've, I didn't meet anybody else. I'd at least have some friendly faces there. Well, yeah. But not that it would be hard to find friendly places. Friendly <laughs> Finding friendly faces. Finding friendly faces. In a sea of, in a flock of Frankensteins. Trying to come up with F, 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 F. No, you couldn't even say the first three words. <laughs> F. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Um, body Snatcher. So good. Brenda, you might like it. Mm. And, and I'm being serious this time. You might also like Dracula, you know, the Bale of the Ghosty film, but you mm. might really like the Body Snatcher. It is really, really well done. It's, is it kind of like pod people? No. Oh. No, not at all. No, no. The Body Snatching is... Um, Boris Karloff's character, well, I don't want to spoil it, but there's body snatching in terms of somebody providing bodies to somebody who wants to learn how to be a surgeon or practice surgery. Oh, so yeah. that style of body snatching, yeah. not pod people. Big difference. Yeah. Don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> so that was our feedback section. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address you'll want to use if you want to send us any messages. By email, you can also send me comments on Facebook like Rod did. There is a Facebook community, a Facebook group, and people have been commenting on the Rally Awards over there as well. So if you're a Facebook user, please head over there, join the group, and you can see where people corrected Steve gently for getting the name of a director wrong uh, when announcing the Rally Awards. Oh, well, I pronounced Bela wrong, so. But they're... Um, so Steve's in good company. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, I was trying to come up with something nice to say about you. And you, you oh, man. Here's the deal. Listeners, we normally record this in the evening after we've had something to eat for lunch, something we've usually done after dinner even. Yes. But we're shooting this. We're shooting this. We're shooting this. What the heck, man? <laughs> we're recording this in the afternoon because I really want to go to Weird Wednesday tonight to see the return of the vampire with... Mm -hmm. Bela Lugosi? Yes. Good job. Okay. <laughs> I really want to go see that at Weird Wednesday at the Joy Cinema tonight. So I want to get the show done in time for that. Yes. Anyway, thanks for being on the show again this week. I mm. uh, love having you on. Thanks. Uh, and anytime we have feedback, if we can make it happen, we'll get you on the show. So listeners, if you want Brenda to lend her voice to your words, mm. right in. Also, can we talk about how things happened and I didn't get somebody some quotes they needed for their wedding and i feel so bad they gave he gave us so much lead time um what do you want to say about that i just i'm so sorry i'm so sorry with, with everything going on 
with all that, you being as present as in, and as involved in everything here at home, is pretty amazing. I mean, you've had a lot on your plate. You're putting up with me not having a job. You had to fly. To <laughs> that Alaska. takes a lot. It, it just does. kidding. It no. does because I just sit around in my underwear all day watching TV <laughs> until about an hour before I have to go get you. Then I you know, clean up real quick, take a shower, make it look like I've been doing something at home, then come get you. It's like, yeah, I had a real productive day, honey. Mm. <laughs> no, seriously though, you've had to deal with that. We've had to deal with the money part of it. Mm. Uh, we had to get you up to Alaska for your grandmother's funeral. Mm. We had that to process through just a lot going on. So, yes, but this is pretty important. Yes, and I'm not trying to say it's not. Yeah. Uh, I also had a hard time coming up with tips for living with a monster kid because I just do. <laughs> you do a pretty good job of it. Pretty good. Most yeah. of the time. Yeah, so I came up with one. What was that? I know that you said something along the lines of just learning the names of like one or two actors. Oh, yeah. And, Learn and one or two things, like if it sticks in your head, and then you pull them out in a random conversation, your husband will be so proud of you. <laughs> He'd be like, you're so cute. I love you so much. I'm so glad you're in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. The other was... Setting reasonable limits on how much monster kid time. Like you have to be vocal and meet each other in the middle in terms of, I want to watch a sewing competition sometimes. I don't want to watch a bunch of these movies. When do I sit down and make you watch a bunch of these movies? There was a beginning of our relationship oh my gosh our big first fight i wanted to watch nothing but alfred hitchcock movies on hitchcock's birthday and you said but I, or you asked if we could maybe do something else while it's on and that was oh such that's a right concept to me. you wanted to only watch the movies Turn and all the lights and i wanted to do something else while watching like folding and it wasn't that i was asking you to do something else. I just wanted to be able to do something else. Unacceptable. <laughs> so, a lot of learning and negotiating and setting limits in terms of how you're willing to spend your time. <laughs> accommodating where possible. Yes. Well, I think it's a monster kid. It's your responsibility to make sure that your partner has something to do while you're off doing other monster kid things. Oh. oh. Yeah, that, I mean, that's really part of the deal. What do you give me to do? Well, I make sure that you've got video games that you it's love. It's true. <laughs> and tonight, you're going to watch one of your favorite shows while I'm out yes. at a movie. Like, I had to remind you. I'm going to the movie. You're like, oh, okay. So, I, yes, you know, yes. I arranged that whole thing. Oh, that's so sweet of you. But I do, yes, when you do, like, uh, the Lovecraft convention, too, If I don't have a video game that I'm into at that moment, like you will help me arrange. Yep. So that, that's really the key. And, you know, on the surface, it might make it look like I'm just trying to distract you. So I don't have to keep checking in every once in a while. You know what? I'm just going to leave that in. We're There's recording so the middle much of the day. traffic. There's so much traffic during the day as opposed to. I, I never thought about people. it. I need my commentary truck. <laughs> rude. Rude, rude, rude. That's all your commentary truck exactly. would say. Rude. <laughs> Anyway. So rude. Yes. Yeah, uh, you do make sure yeah. I'm set up with something that will successfully distract me. Well, you know, I mean, I'm off doing something fun, and I don't want you sitting around just pining away, missing <laughs> my love. 
you know. <laughs> well, I think you learned during the year you left me at home like the day I got home from the hospital after I had my gangrenous gallbladder removed. That it wasn't was my fault. so bad. It was not my fault. What do you mean it wasn't your fault? We had a guest in from out of town that I was entertaining. Who was more important than me coming out of the hospital. I was only going to see him for like a day or two. I've got the rest of my life with you, babe. Not if I didn't survive. You would have survived. I couldn't get up to like eat the food so I didn't vomit from the pain meds. I We raced home one night, came home because you needed us. And what did you do? I don't remember. You got up, said hello, and went back, went back to bed. I what? You went right back to bed. You didn't need, you weren't up. You didn't need us. You were just, you were tired and you went back to bed. So we went out to Denny's. Wait, I'm so confused. What did you, like, did you make food for me or something? No, we came home because you were acting like you needed us or something and you weren't doing well. So we came home from the festival and you did not want to engage. You didn't need <gasps> us at all. And we're like, fine, we're going to go to Denny's, get something to eat. Well, <laughs> I'm really sorry about that. So there, see, I knew better. No, you didn't. <laughs> First of all, it takes a really long time for you to get home. Welcome to Therapy Kid Radio. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was rough. That was rough. <laughs> it was. Yes. It was. No. Anyway, do we want to say who the wedding vow was for, who this was for? I know it's really close and probably can't be accommodated, but let's at least provide those. Yeah, yeah. So Mark Bailey who mm-hmm. I actually mentioned earlier in this episode mm-hmm. of the conversation with Alan Trump. Mark Bailey is a man behind the New York City giant monster attack map. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark's been on the show a couple of times. He's been really supportive of me personally mm. and of the show. I feel so bad. You probably should. He's such a good guy. He is. He just wanted one thing from us. From you. <gasps> A man and woman drive along a lonely country road at night. Suddenly, their headlights pick up a strange figure. From this moment on, nothing is quite the same again. Any sign of a fracture? No, no, not at all. There's a radio-opaque disc inside his brain. He's not human. Well, we think that a rocket touched down here. It was atomic-powered, and that's why we're picking up the radioactivity now. Who are they? What are they? Where do they come from? What do they want? We're just going to sit here and boil to death? Well, what? Commit suicide like Carter? Escape. Escape. Away from the heat. Away from the terror. But where do you go? The invasion is on. The invaders are here. They can destroy you. But they are indestructible. Trapped. No way out but death. The invasion is on. The invaders are here. An enemy like nothing on Earth. Their secret weapon, stark, stifling terror. Sister, what happened? Took Dr. Harland with him. When? A few seconds ago. The invasion is on. The invaders are here. The outside lines are out of order. All of them? Yes, apparently we're cut off.
Dr. M. We dare not show you the rest of this scene. It is too shocking to watch. Black Pit of Dr. M. I'm innocent. I'm being hung for a crime that's not mine. Please bear with us. We must leave the rest of this sequence to your imagination. It is too diabolical for you to take. Black Pit of Dr. M. <laughs> We must apologize. The shocks you are missing would make your blood run cold. Not since the cabinet of Dr. Caligari has the screen been so filled with the eerie, the shocking, the incredible, the diabolical. We warn you, see it only if you can take sudden shocks, shattering terror. Black Pit of Dr. M. I might actually be able to pull this off and get this episode done before I head out to Weird Wednesday to see The Return of the Vampire tonight at the Joy Cinema. I adore this film. It's one of my favorite Bela Lugosi movies, and I'm excited to see it on the big screen. I know it's not film, but still, to see it projected larger than life, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm planning on meeting up with Jeff Polier in person, and he and I will actually record a segment of The Weird One to report there together so he won't have to call in. So I'm excited to head out to the theater to do that. So before I do that, let me go ahead and wrap up this episode of the show by reminding everybody that you can find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio at Monster Kid Radio. Net. There's links to everything we've got going on, our Facebook page and our Facebook group. I mentioned those earlier during the feedback with my wife. We also have our contact information up there. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Of course, I have links to the New York City Giant Monster Attack map and the Plan 9x9 Kickstarter campaign. That's still going through October 13th. Of course, I appreciate everybody's support with the Kickstarter and with Monster Kid Radio. Anytime you give me a like on Facebook or retweet the tweets or give us an honest review in the iTunes store or whatever you do to support the show, it means a lot. So thank you so much. We are almost 400 episodes into this thing, and I've been podcasting for over a decade now. And I know that I would not be at the place that I am now if not for you guys and gals encouraging me, encouraging the show, and just getting involved in the community that we have here. And that's what the Monster Kid Radio crashes are about here in the local area. I know not everybody's in the Portland, Oregon area, and I think I'm going to hold off on kind of running down the list right now. But there are a lot of things happening in October in the Portland, Oregon area that's going to make this Monster Kid Oh, man, <laughs> it's just going to make this monster kid very, very happy. So stay tuned. Maybe I'll put something up on YouTube about it. And you know what? I don't know if I have a link to the YouTube page actually at the website. So I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. I know I mentioned it at the top of the show, but I'm going to mention it here too. Please consider subscribing to the YouTube channel and watching all the videos there. Most of them are about monster kid stuff, monster movie things. And I've got a video that I'll be releasing probably tomorrow afternoon. That has to do with Vincent Price, and I'm really excited about how that turned out, and I'm eager to get that in front of as many YouTube-watching eyes. What's coming up next week? Well, if you go over to monsterkidradio.net and check the show notes, you'll see that I've embedded a trailer in there. What's the trailer for? This movie. Famous Monsters of Hollywood magazine names it Shock Award winner. 
The Monster of Piedras Blancas. The Monster of Piedras Blancas, the world's most shocking monster, stalks its unsuspecting prey, feasts its eyes on the next victim to writhe in its slimy arms. The screen's most nightmarish beast. A claw-fingered, scaly-skinned, half-human crustacean turning a lonely lighthouse village into a frenzied bedlam of blood-curdling horror. Never have you known such cringing terror, such... drawn by love to the forbidden cove of the sea monster, then trapped in a torment of unendurable suspense. In the screen monsterama of a thousand incredible... See the movie named the most brain-paralyzing shock story of them all, The Monster of Piedras Blancas. This is one of my absolute favorite films. I adore this film, and I think it's just something else. It's something that people need to watch, and I'm excited to talk about it with my friend Chris McMillan. Chris has been a part of my podcasting journey here on Monster Kid Radio, and really going back further than that for a while, and I am so excited to have him on the show to talk about this one. This is a fun film. And I know that we've already got in the virtual can a recording from Ken Blows about this film, Monster of Piedras Blancas, and its appearance in Famous Monsters of Filmland. So that's going to be rolling out too. What else is coming out next week on episode 389? I guess you're just going to have to keep watching YouTube or monsterkidradio.net to find out because as soon as I've got it lined up, I'm going to put out a preview video. I want to thank everybody for listening once again. I appreciate you being here for the ride. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Bone Vampire. That belongs to Toro Jones. It's from the Toro Jones EP, which is six songs. They're all great. I've already played them on the show in the past, and I wanted to play Bone Vampire this week because it's one of my favorites off this album. Check them out over at steveladacina.bandcamp.com or look them up on Facebook and let them know that you heard them here on Monster Kid Radio. My name is Derek M. Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.